All right, welcome to the Big Story Podcast. I'm Alex Morrissey, and today we have the amazing, incomparable, um, add other adjectives that you wish, Gabriel Harbin is here to join us and talk. So let's get into this. Gabriel, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it's, it, we, I always usually have a little bit of conversation with people before the show starts, and it's like always this lively, junk, you know, jumpy thing. We have a good time, and then we get into the the show and it's great. And I keep, I, I find myself referring back to previous conversations and, you know, we were talking about how like cool is like a timely thing. And, uh, and we were both saying how, like, we think like, is it time to get out of where we live? Because like, is the cool gone? And when you were talking about, it, I was thinking like, like I lived in New York city for 25 years, like in Manhattan. Right. Yeah. And, I, I did. I lived there for when I was, you know, from when I was like 16 to 22 or something like that, oh, when cool. I, you know, so I, yeah. Like, New York defined a lot for me. Yeah. yeah. And it's this thing where you go like, you know, and you were saying how like, you know, in LA, like how you're where you live, it's like now you're, it's like super expensive and like wealthy land. And, and it's like everywhere, like it's, I feel like we're like, you know, this age group where we're like, we got in when the getting was good at some things, but the only way to retain that is to sort of be like a shut in and like, I'm, you're never moving. You're like, yeah, well, right. And I mean, I, uh, I ended up, um, I mean, I live, I, I moved to, uh, well, my ex-wife and I moved to the uh, east side of Los Angeles when, like, 13 years ago. We were kind of talking about this before, but the, yeah. I um, and it's you know it was it was a an up and coming area. You know, it was like a, it was a little dodgy and stuff, and uh, but it, I liked it that way. There were you know there there was you know there was an influx of interesting people and stuff, and but not too much, and not you know, and then it went into kind of a hyper gentrified thing, and now yeah. it's just like rich people live over mm -hmm. here. And, uh, but I did, um, I did end up just selling my house recently, you know, did hey, congratulations. Uh, you know, it's, cheers it's, the, you. yeah, cheers. Yeah. But it's, uh, but it's like, uh, you know, but it, but it totally brings up the, the part of, do I buy another house in this right. ridiculous area or do I do the thing that we were talking about a little bit, uh, uh be like, uh, you know, uh, artist Donald Judd and move to a tiny town in the middle of nowhere, like Marfa, Texas, and decide mm -hmm. to make it into someplace. Like, uh, so uh, I, I'm, I'm entertaining messianic ideas of uh, moving to some tiny town in, in the Midwest or something and transforming it in someplace else. Well, I think with all the, you know, the, the sort of cinematic work that you do, like, I would think like you'd find like some sort of like desert town and turn it into some like sort of modern mashup of like a, like um, Yojimbo, and like a science fiction world all kind of clash together in this little, this town and like everything for some reason you have to get at like two feet off the ground to look at things. Yeah. Well, to, if I'm not, I'm not going to go the Yojimbo route in that I'm not going to have to like be the lone guy between two uh, warring factions of gangsters for the month, for the rest of my life. Or, but I can imagine it going that way though, if you try to move into some tiny desert town. Right, now I, exactly. Cause there were people there before you and they don't. Yes, want to exactly. Play. And then I come in and I'm like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a storyboard artist a from a big town. Guy. I'm here to change this place. I'm here to bring some culture to you people. All of a sudden you hear a guitar going, ding, 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 ding. you're like, okay. <laughs> Although isn't, isn't the job as a comic book artist for many years, the job of that, of the, of the man caught between two rivaling gangs? Um, well, I mean, it would, it would be, well, in that you mean Marvel in DC yeah. or yeah. yeah, I mean, yes and no, because the, uh, because my, uh, I mean, I did have an earlier career in comics when I was like a teenager, back when I did live in New York City. 
but uh, and then for many years, I was just a storyboard artist for movies and then came back to comics like a dozen years ago. And I did work for Marvel, maybe a little work for DC, but uh, but the majority of the stuff that I ended up doing was, you know, a book for Image Comics, a book, right. like, you know, uh, other stuff that's, you know, where I would just because I'm not in no way, especially in comics, because I also have this other movie career, like in comics, I've never been a careerist. I've, I've right. always just done the things that I wanted to do, which is not, a, it's not the path to, uh, you know, everybody loving you, but yeah. it's, but it's the path to, I mean, comics are just not, I don't, I feel like comics can be such a direct expression, you know, like you mm -hmm. don't need, you know, everything that you need to make a film or whatever else. So I mean, in theory, I can do it all by myself, and I have at times. And uh, and I I just uh, I just don't feel like it's worth it to sacrifice in order to get someplace I don't really want to be. Yeah. I mean, there was a point where I did uh, I was uh, I did a lot of fun comics at Marvel, uh, you know, mostly written by my friend Jeff Parker, who's great. Uh, and then I did another series that with a different writer that was uh, allegedly sort of a step up and, you know, whatever. And like, and it was such a horrendous experience that, I was, that, that then I was just like, yeah, I'm literally never working with another writer again. And I'm only going to work, you know, write stuff on my own. I wrote stuff with, uh, you know, uh, with my, my ex-wife as well. And, you know, like it, it, a lot of stuff together, but like, uh, it, it just was a thing where I could, where, where it's not worth it in the world of comics, right? right? It's yeah. comics should be about doing, you know, like the, the barrier entry is relatively low. It should be about doing stuff that you're passionate about. Yeah. For me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, and I agree. And I think like, I think we, you know, we have, the, yeah, I think now the awareness of the sort of the two sides of comics is pretty clear. You know, mm -hmm. there's, there is this sort of, the sort of the sitcom, you know, procedural version of comic books, which is the monthlies that we all, you know, cut our teeth on as children reading. Mm -hmm. And they all, they're near and dear to our hearts in so many ways because great work was done. It's not, there's no way to deny that. But then there is this sort of passion project side of comic books. And I'm not, and I'm not just referring to indie comic books, period. I'm talking to like A-list creators who are like, you know what, I really, really want to do this thing. And I don't, it's not a matter of like, is this going to like you know pay my car car off you know it's it's a matter of like is this the story that i want to tell yeah and but success can be defined in a weird way through comics in comics especially because of the because of childhood perceptions yeah. of what's oh, important right sure. so like you can you can like uh fool yourself right into you know uh to pursuing something at, at one of those two big companies that you know, that you feel like would, would pay off these, these childhood feelings, but yeah. ultimately you're just not actually getting paid that well and not actually having a lot of creative control over the thing you're doing. So yeah, that, like, you know, it, it's, it, it can be a little bit of a trap. Too. The, the blush, the blush does wear off quickly in, in many respects. If you, you know, if you are kind of paying attention to, you know, the situation over there and I'm, and I'm not knocking it. Like I went, I went the route, you know, like I did the whole thing. I did the song of the dance, you mm -hmm. know, and I worked for those companies and, I really enjoyed what I did, but oh, yeah, it yeah. wasn't, but it, but to your point, it wasn't the thing that like, I like, I don't sit back and think like, boy, I'd love to get a penciling gig for Marvel or DC and be it, it, like, no, I want to write a story, you know? And like, you know, and maybe I want to draw the story, but, or maybe I just want to write the story. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, for me, it is about writing and drawing the thing. And a little bit, this is to my detriment as far as the careerist thing goes, because, uh, because writers just get, 
a level of respect in comics that is disproportionate, you know, I mean, and, yeah. uh, you know, like it is a, both writing and drawing the thing is telling the story. They, yeah. both things are inextricable, right? They're, they're For both sure. storytelling. Yeah. And so, I mean, if like, uh, if, if, you know, if I had, if I pursued more uh, writing for other people, I think that it would, you know, that would give a level of respect. But uh, whereas, you know, you could work at a comic book store and show up and write something and all of a sudden you're a writer, but like, you know, but being an artist who who writes, there's always this level of, uh, you know, um, That's like an uh, as if it, as if it's, you're kind of indulgent or whatever. And I, I always get questions like, uh, so you, do you just, draw out the scripts or whatever yeah. it's like no i i write i type them yeah. i like i write full scripts and can and submit them yeah. to the editor that's literally what i do it's like it's a there's a weird barrier for uh for getting past because, that idea i know it's true because we you know because we get i mean we have you know a wide gamut of you know creators on the show and you know lots of you know plenty of the, the you know of indie creators and you know, it, but it's funny a lot of them do they're all they're in that that they they work in that point where they sit down with a piece of paper and they will start thumbnailing out their story like they'll be thinking right. well but i could do that too and i have done yeah. that too on indie books right i mean like on books that are just i mean i did a graphic novel uh, which is like my book my most personal thing it's a uh, a graphic novel called kinski it's a very like you know it's not uh it's it's not a, a genre thing exactly i mean it is right. kind of a suspense crime thing but a kind of quirky weird one and you know the and i uh and and i did um I did do that in a more organic way where I just outlined it and, right. you know, uh, and, uh, and I had a big idea for, you know, I knew where it was going, but it was more about finding it. And, uh, and I, and it was driven visually to some extent, but only because I have the whole thing in my head and I don't have to talk to anybody about it. You know, <laughs> I mean, when, you know, when the, when you're doing a, a, a freelance book, you know, you're working for this company, you have an editor and, and me, I want to protect myself for later on if I'm yeah. doing one of those things. I want to write a full script so that I'm, you know, so that I'm saying exactly what I'm going to be doing so that there's not amb ambiguity where people can come back and go, oh, but what about this? And what about that? I mean, sure. I'm managing yeah. situations like that are always about like making sure that I can carve out a space where I can tell the story I want to tell with that with, and, and get the least amount of like, non-helpful interference and how do you i mean like and, and i totally get that because like i do a lot of, i do a lot of design work for a lot of different companies and and brands and i find that like i really it, there's a lot of work that you have to do to sort of like you know protect your own creative space in these things and then not say that like because the work isn't isn't an art project it's you know it's a design yeah. project and it's a, it's a commercial enterprise but like i remember asking um uh kennedy from widening kennedy <clears throat> when he was speaking at the school i was teaching and and he i said you know so what's you what's your number one job you know this is after he'd already written just do it you know so he was he was you know they had a big you know organization and he goes oh my, my number one job is to to protect my creative depart you know my creative workers so they can actually have the freedom to do the things that they need to do versus have to f fight with this sort of exterior pressures. Right. And, and like, and I think like if you aren't part of an enterprise with somebody doing that for you, it's your responsibility to kind of make that space for yourself. So like doing that full script is a safety valve because they're not going to go like, Oh, Oh, well, wait a minute. We thought you were going to put Thanos in this thing later in the story. Cause yeah. we talked about that. And you're like, 
It wasn't perfect. or just there, you know, I mean, there was one particular company that had a had a guy in charge who would have ideas about things that, uh, you know, that didn't necessarily fit with, you know, you know, previous plans. So, you know, I, I it, like laying low and uh, and trying to do the work and trying to carve out a space to do the work. But that said, my actual interactions uh, in, um, you know, at uh, at DC and Marvel. Uh, with with editors have always been pretty positive have really been positive i've not actually run into really difficult situations along yeah. those lines but i'm I've, also somebody who's worked in movies with very powerful directors and you know uh and a lot of politics for my entire adult life so it's not like i have no idea how to like navigate well yeah i mean you i mean you've obviously that's a very different kind of cauldron to be in but it's one where there are so many personalities and they're all running at the same time that you are happy, you know, because it's not like an editor can has to kind of wait for something to come in. But like that director has there are so many things happening and the art art department, like all these people are standing there going, hey. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, and it can work all kinds of ways, too. Yeah. But, um, you know, but like certainly the, uh, you know, the navigating the politics of, of you know, people is a thing, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, and also. Uh, there, there was a thing in, in uh, where I was going to go back to Marvel and do a book uh, and it was pitched and it was approved and everything, but it was assigned to an editor who just didn't get it and wasn't, you know, wasn't helpful on a level where I ended up just not doing the book because it wasn't worth it. Like it's a, there's like, you know, there is a point where it's kind of like, you, you know, you're going to draw a six issue and these were like 30 page issues. So that's a lot of work. And it was, you know, and that's a giant chunk of your life. And at a certain yeah. point, you're just going to go. Is it worth it for this? Like, maybe not, yeah. you know, but some things are, some things aren't. The Green Lantern Earth One book that I did at DC, yep. like we did two volumes of it. I, I'm very happy with that. I loved working with Christy Quinn, our editor. It, you know, it was, uh, and it was, a, you know, like there's a lot of personal shit in that book and there's a lot of good stuff in it. And it's not, you know, and it, it is a story that I was interested in telling. But also, <laughs> oddly not, I wasn't like, uh, you know, a Green Lantern super fan who was living out some sort of, yeah. you know, uh, fantasy doing it. I, you know, it was, it was looking at what they had and going, this is the, this is something where I can explore this world in an interesting way. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I think that sentiment is the key sentiment to so much of the comic books that we all love um, because nobody was touching Daredevil and Frank Miller's like, what are you guys doing with that? And they're like, nothing. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's like, you guys mind letting me have a handle with that? Yeah, sure. We don't care. And, it, you know, and so many comic books that we ended up just going, these are the greatest things ever done are a result of those moments when, you know, so, someone had no idea of, to do something. Right. With and that that space, man, like that, you know, Moon Knight is, is a result of someone looking at, you know, a, a comic from 1975 saying like, it'd be kind of cool if I did something like this. And then yeah. next thing you know, we've, you know, we get, some of the greatest, you know, evolution in comics from, you know, Bill Sienkiewicz's, you know, in, in, here I am and I love Neil Adams to here I am and your mind's blown, you know, I mean, it was yeah. just... And, you know, you give the example of Daredevil, and I'm sure people will argue with me about this, but, and, you know, obviously Gene Cullen drew, did run on Daredevil. He's my favorite artist ever, right? But the, but at the same time, I don't know if anybody loved Daredevil before all of that, right? Before Frank Miller and everything, right? So, like, you know, it, it's, uh, and it is about going, hey, what's a story that I can tell, you yeah. know, with this thing? And, you know, the, pre the, gen the generation previous to them, you know, who 
created a lot of this, all this stuff and everything. They didn't come to any of this with sentimental yeah. ideas about being children growing up reading these characters. It they, was a job. You know, it, yeah. It was purely a job and it wasn't. And they still did, they still did great work. Though, oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, it's you know, because the creativity is the creativity. It doesn't matter sort of how you apply it. You know, they, they're going to tell, they, they would have told the great story of Daredevil their own way had they come in that in the second generation, you mm -hmm. know, that. The, you know, so so funny. So the the Gene Colan thing. So he was our our instructor when we were in art college, mm. and um, it technically was the inking class. You know, and like I don't, you know, who had the bad foresight to say Gene Colan is yeah, the inking okay. class? All right. And day, I don't know if it was day one or day two or whatever it was, Gabriel. But he like rolls in with a stack of printouts and just hands them out to everyone and goes and like we were all supposed to have like vellum or something. And he's like, okay, so you know, the assignment is to ink over me for the, you know, you know, and bring in like, and we're like, uh, <laughs> it was like the world's hardest job. Like it was the hardest job in comics would be inking Gene Colan. He's, like, which... he's like, Tom Palmer's my favorite inker. I'm like, man, like Tom Palmer's a great inker and he still can't ink you well. Yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's impossible. It's, it's near impossible. I've actually tried, it, you know, he's one of those, you know, people where I've, found you know found photocopies found you know things that, things that he that were intended to be inked not necessarily right. stuff that he drew to be you know reproduced in, in pencils but like the uh and tried to ink them and tried to you know tried to do it and it's it certainly is a challenge and i but i i also have a kind of uh i also feel like i'm i could almost do it like it's something where like i i feel like i'm not you know, I'm not a slickster, you know, I'm not somebody, you know, I, I like expressiveness and I like to, to just go with it. And, uh, and I, I, I feel like I could almost get there. I would love, if there is a, a nerdy thing that I would love, it would be to like, you know, for there to be some, you know, Gene Colan, uh, penciled story sitting in a drawer somewhere mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that I could not ink on the, those pages, but like, just, yeah. you know, that, but, you know, that, that I could ink that, you know, and, uh, and like try to really do it. Cause it's like inking some pinup or whatever, that's fine, but that's not really the job, right? The job is doing the whole thing. The job is telling the story. So like, uh, you know, the sequential story. So like that, I, I feel like that would be a super fun challenge. I know I would fail, but I still would be a super fun challenge. <laughs> well, that, but that, dude, that, that makes me totally think like, wow, how cool would it be? Like what, you know, we all love music, right? I mean, yeah. You got Kurt Vile hanging over your shoulder in the background. Like we all love music and music is so integral to like part of the creative process, what, whatever the thing you do. I mean, everybody has their sort of link to music. But one thing we love about music is we love covers. We mm -hmm. love bands that we love. I mean, play the, play the song of another thing that we love and we're like, mm -hmm. it's amazing because it's like, it's, it's, it's pre mashup. It's this sort of like er, mashup, you know, like, but like how cool would it be to like, I don't know, Marvel or DC, like once a year, put out like a really deluxe edition comic book that's a cover album or a cover of that by taking the pencils of a Gene Colan thing and then having a different crew finish this thing up. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and but it's also like, I mean, there are things out there right now. I mean, I know that, that you know, I mean, I, I'm not sure how much legit, maybe Rob Liefeld was doing some version of this or something. I don't know, but there, uh, okay. but like uh, the, um, but like that, I know that there's something out there where people, uh, there's some guy who's commissioned different artists to draw, redraw pages of uh, the Dark Knight Returns, you know, okay. and like, you know, just do their interpretation of each page. And it's like that, you know, I mean, that, that, that would be a bizarre thing to do, but I mean, like, but at the same time, look, hear me out. 
<laughs> there's like uh, there's a uh, um, there's also in you know in your along your cover song thing right there's yeah. the thing where you take somebody takes a song that's not the greatest song in the world and sure. makes it something amazing right it's uh, yeah. it's like uh, the Bob Dylan song Shot of Love not the greatest Bob Dylan song in the world uh, PJ Harvey covers it and it sounds like it's the most amazing song in the world yeah. right so. Uh, cover version of you know uh, of of not the greatest comic in the world. Where right. You go back and try oh, to like you really know try to bring it up to something. That's, that's really interesting. And where do we start? Do we start with the color? Do we start with the artwork, or do we start with the story itself? I mean, like like it's I, I don't know because those things are kind of inextricable. And then, but and it, and so this would just end up being a completely different comic. So it wouldn't it wouldn't actually work out, you know? Yeah, but. I know. But I think what it is, it's an interesting thought experiment, you know, yeah. it's like one of those kind of things. Well, how do you like this is us in grad school coming up with this idea. Now, how do we execute this idea to like really, you know, make it have the impact? Is this a, is this a traveling show that we go into museums around the country with you know different artists applying whatever to whatever? Um, but by the way, any Jeff Buckley cover, any cover of Jeff Buckley did of other people's songs. A sure. plus. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. A plus. Um, Okay, so you said an interesting thing. Um, New York City, sixteen to twenty-two. Okay, so um, what's what's the what's the what's that? How did you oh, get in? Well, I um, so I graduated from high school early uh, ah, for okay. good reasons, not because right. I was like a genius, but uh, like just uh, I, I I did um, I just had, had a I, I I went to a college or I went to a high school that was a, a like what. Out here, they would now call it like a magnet school or something like it was an arts oriented high school. Okay. Uh, so like I, you know, for half of the day, I just had a fine art education. So I had gotten a lot of, you know, kind of college level art education throughout, you know, from when I was 14 on. And the, um, and then, uh, well, I guess really just 14 to 16, because that's when I moved. So I don't know, all this stuff seems like it took a lot longer than it did. And, uh, but I, uh, and, but also had, you know, also ended up kind of getting expelled from there, <laughs> like you know, uh, going to like uh, you know an alternative school where it was like a sort of work at your own pace thing. So I was just like, okay, well, what if I just worked really fast and got done with high school as quickly as humanly possible? So I did that. I was able to kind of get some scholarship to go to school of visual arts for uh, you know, uh, but like just local scholarship stuff. I had no money. I didn't grow up with any money. Right. And so uh, like I, uh, but it was only enough to cover like a semester. But I went, right? And uh, and I only went for the semester. I didn't have enough money to go further than that, but it was also kind of remedial. I went for fine arts, which is also something I'm very interested in, you know? And I mean, you're you're seven years younger than me, so so 16. It's like 90, uh, 90, 91. Okay, you know, so I mean, that's yeah. like my junior senior year of S at SVA. So I was there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, but I was I was going for fine arts, right? And it's not a great place to go for fine arts anyway. But, the, okay, but um, that was the year that John Paul Leon. Yeah. That was his first year. Okay. Well, I yeah. I mean, I oh. I you know I basically you know I I did that kind of minimal introductory stuff, and because I was. You know, by, by the time I was actually, you know, I was 16 when I moved up there, but I was 17 by the time I was going to the classes yeah. and stuff. So like, but it felt, I'd already been through years of this stuff in oh, high school and it just felt utterly remedial. It felt like the, um, like the other, the other kids in the class were just who, what they were, 
you know, the kind of best artists from their high school, you know, coming together, whatever. And I was like, uh, and they hated me because like when there would be critique stuff, I would critique the work, right? And and I could take it when people critique my work because I'd already been through all this stuff and they hated me. And uh, so like, and also I was a fucking 17 year old, you sure. know, uh, can I curse? I'm sorry. Of course. Uh, you know, and uh, so like the, you know, I'm, I'm sure that I was insufferable. Yeah. So like, uh, you know, but it, it was just the, the, those two things together that it wasn't really like, I didn't feel like I was getting a ton out of it, but I, if I had had the patience and stayed and figured out a way to stay, I'm sure mm -hmm. I would have. Uh, but I ended up just dropping out. I got a, I got a, get a, a, a job as a museum guard at the Guggenheim Museum through a okay. weird set of circumstances. Uh, okay. at, I was still 17 like I, like when I got the job and turned 18. The, uh, the woman who did the hiring was extraordinarily nearsighted. So like uh, she just did, she held up the, the, my, you know, uh, like, uh, what do you call it? Application. Uh, yeah, yeah. And just looked at it, you know, like, and was like, okay, yeah, sure, you're hired. And, well, you know, well, there, there was no process whatsoever for, oh like, you know, hiring the security guards, of the, you know, to, to, to guard this, these, you know, uh, very, you know, all these, these like, precious works of art. Works, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the, but like, and so I did that for like nine months or whatever. But that whole time, from the time I was 14 years old, I started doing sequential samples and sending them into companies, right? Okay. I got a copy of Artist Market, this book from back then that you, you know, that would like list you know, submissions, that. editors, and things like that. And so, like, I, you know, and they were terrible when I was 14, right? But I would, but I consistently did this where I would, do make up sequential samples, send them to the companies, you know, either, you know, sometimes get feedback and eventually it just kind of paid off. So like that era, right after I was in, you know, school, I just focused on trying to get work in comics. And since I was in New York city, there was a little more accessibility there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I would just over and over send the samples. And eventually a guy at DC comics called Neil Posner, who was, sure. uh, some yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, very, like guy who was really good for me in that he was, uh, you know, he was encouraging, but harsh, right? Like he was not, uh, you know, he didn't suffer fools at all. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so like he ended up getting me a little, you know, like through him, I got a little thing where it was like an internship with Dick Giordano, okay. uh, you know, for, uh, that. And then that went, that was supposed to get me work at DC, which it didn't because he was retiring. So no one cared about him anymore. Right. So like they, uh, so no, like, you know, he, he, like nobody, none of the editors there thought that they could curry favor by hiring no, some kids that he was mentoring. Was so, like, you know. There was a group of, there was a group of, you know, I, for lack of a better term, the, of the old timers at DC mm -hmm. at that, at that period, um, you know, Joe Orlando, Dick Giordano, yeah. um, Bob Rosakis, like there was a crew, you know, from the 60s and 70s that were still part of the family who they weren't in the editorial gene pool. They had they had they were given these titles and offices sort of off to the side and they were get, and they weren't even really truly even special projects people because they like the special projects people, they would always take your work and go. Oh, we should go talk to so and so on special projects and see about getting you some work, you know. Yeah. And you know, and that right, was right. But the, I mean, this was Dick Giordano was the executive editor of some kind at the point oh, at that sure. point. So, I mean, like you, you know, I mean, but oh, yeah. the uh, but the uh, and actually, that wasn't the first dealing I had with DC. The first dealing was when I was 16, I think. And I uh, and like 
in Florida, my mom had uh, had played tennis with Erwin Hazen, who I believe was a, a he was, a, he, was he, he taught at SVA as well, right? Yeah, my fellow co-host Phil, he took Erwin's class. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, I ended up, you know, when I went to New York, and you know, I ended up going and meeting with him and showing him my uh, my samples that I had at that point, and he was like, "These are pretty good." I'm going to get my friend uh, Joe Orlando on the phone, right? right. And he, he called up Joe Orlando. I'm 16. He's yeah. like, uh, you know, he's like, I got this kid here. I think you could take a look at. Right. Mm -hmm. And they made an appointment. So I like this was still they were still at the 666 building, yep. you know, and, yep. uh, you know, and so I like schlepped up to uh, Joe Orlando's office and like, you know, showed my portfolio. And he, you know, and he was basically kind of like, look, kid, you got a lot to learn. You know, like it was it was really like in my mind, he was charming a cigar. He wasn't really. Yeah. And, no, no, no. Uh, you know, <laughs> but uh, and but. The main thing I remember is he uh, he had an Alex Raymond original uh, strip on the wall. Wow, okay, he yeah. kind of like took me over to it, and he was like, "Now look what what Raymond did here." Yeah, yeah. And blah blah blah, blah right? And he, like, uh, and, and the, you know, at the time, I'm just like, "Oh, this guy isn't going to give me anything." But it was, it, but it was a good like yeah, yeah. to be thrown into that at that age. I think sure. was was a positive. Gabriel, I, you're, it's so. This is so funny because, like, I had nearly the identical experiences in this, in this, in this thing. When I was 15 to 16ish years old, somebody I don't kind of the, the memories keep falling apart in this one. But so somebody knew somebody who knew somebody at DC, and they set up a meeting for me. I don't. I maybe I had to call him, but with Bob Rosakis at DC. So yeah. I went in with my portfolio when I was in high school, maybe as like a junior, maybe. I don't know, sophomore. And I go in with dreams of being the next big hotshot artist, you know, because I like Art Adams. Um, and I go in, you know, and Bob gives me this nearly the same sort of like rundown, like that you got with Joe, who Joe was our teacher at SVA as well. Yeah. And man, that guy, like, like, you know, you got a lot to learn, kid. His whole routine was you would pick a you'd pick an image from like a, ma a magazine or newspaper and you had to draw a triptych. What happened right before, what happened right after. Oh, yeah, okay. Put it up on the wall. Joe would just walk down the line and go, saleable, not saleable. And he would just do that <laughs> the whole way. And then and then that's like, and then if you had the temerity to say like why or what, you know, then he would, you know, he would engage with you. But otherwise, like most people would just be like, oh, okay, and right. that would be it. Right. But like, you know, he, but he was great because he would like give you every little bit of info you needed to know if you pursued it. Um, and then my close, really close friend Eric Dozier, who is, he works for oh, Gearbox, so he does he does like game characters design and stuff for Gearbox. He did the same thing that you did and spoke to Joe when he was in high school. And Joe looked after Eric. He went to he went to school. And when he got out of SVA, like Joe was like swooped him right up into special projects and like made Eric's career. Just had a mm. he had a great life and career, never having to do comic books. He just did special projects, mm. had a great time. So yeah, yeah. um, you know, it's interesting, but like you know, those are, those are really like, but it's, it's making those connections and like, you know, the human to human thing. And they're, they'll always talk to someone, especially who's young, who has the chutzpah, you know, to get in there and do it because so many people don't like yeah, it, yeah. it's a vetting process in its own right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that the chutzpah was not warranted in the work that I did, but it was, you know, but I still, I mean, it was not terrible. I mean, I did get professional work by the time I was, 
18, I guess. So right. like, you know, yeah. it, uh, I did a, um, back then I worked under a different name. I and, know. Uh, <laughs> perhaps. I, know. I, I sometimes admit this and sometimes don't. And uh, the, you know, and so like, uh, <laughs> the, um, and so I did a book called War Machine uh, at Marvel mm -hmm. when, you know, uh, and that was the first real, that was a, the War Machine number one was the first published work that I ever did. So, and, and, and who were you trying to protect at the time? Uh, it, it was like, no, the key to this is I started submitting these things when I was 14, 15 years old. Right. So I was not making good decisions. And, uh, like, I, and like, I, you know, and then, and this was sometime when I was like 15, I got super into, um, uh, the velvet underground okay. and, uh, and then, and, and like Warhol's factory and all that sort of stuff. Right. And yeah. so this is like everybody, they all go there and, you know, uh, and change their names and, yep. you know, to something poppy and stupid sounding. Right. And so that's what I did. And Gabriel Ramon could have been Gabriel Ramon. Yeah. I just, it was, I don't, it was like I say, bad decisions. Yeah. So, uh, the, uh, so like I, um, uh, I, but then by the time I'd started, I'd kept submitting stuff under that name. Then all these people knew me as that name. Right. And then, uh, and then, at a, and then whatever. In, now it's good because, you know, that's work I did as a teenager. Right. And the, and the, and I had a colossally bad fit for an inker for, and through most of that work, the yeah. inkers that I was paired with were yeah. not serving the pencils at all. Super tough. But Super particularly on that War Machine book. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, everything got kind of flattened out and terrible looking. And so the, um, uh, and that was what, that was what people thought of as my work. And it was an enormously frustrating situation. But, uh, but looking back now, I'm like, does anybody want to be like, to have to, you know, account for the work that they did when they were 18 years old? No. no. So it, I have a huge out and that, that some other guy did that. Right. And, yeah. uh, and we can all pretend like that's the case. And, uh, you know, and and I have this this other career is the one that's really me. It was a brilliant idea when you were fourteen. <laughs> yes, exactly. It, <laughs> it only it only worked out that way in the most circuitous fashion. But yeah, that's hilarious. I love I love it. That's I mean, it's such a great it's such a great sort of like sidebar to your in your own life. You know, it's like oh yeah, the whole thing. So I mean, so was there any like I mean, I mean, you're hustling and looking and, and looking for work. You know, at, at, you know, your you know late teens and early twenties. I mean, was there any sort of like consideration like or, or did you go back for any further education on, on a or did you no, say like, no, no because I'm, I've only you know um I've just been uh I've been a working freelancer you know uh non-stop since I was 18 years old I've never apart after that job where I was the security guard at the Guggenheim for like eight months uh I've never had a job that wasn't visual storytelling in some right. way Right. Wow. And so like uh, writing or drawing or whatever, you know, uh, or a little bit, you know, directing film stuff and everything. Right. So like, uh, you know, like that's been my whole life. That's all I've ever done since I was 18 years old. So, you know, wow. right? and I've never had look, there have been oh, but there have been tons of times over those years where I've been like, I wish I could have had, you know, uh, had the time and the space to have like more, you know, uh, fine art education, more illustration education, more, uh, you know, go to film school and sit around and just talk shit about like film process and, and theory in a way that I never had the opportunity to in actually working in movies where most people don't actually care about film. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a, uh, 
Like I've, I've, I've plenty of times wished that I could have had that. Yeah. No, I mean, it, 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 I mean, it is, listen, it's a, it's a mad luxury, especially to go off and go to art school. You know, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's possibly the most impractical sort of like thing that one person can do. And, yeah, but I mean, I like, I mean, granted, I didn't actually go to art school, but I mean, I've made a living off of yeah. doing stuff that you would in theory be trained for if going to art school. Exactly. You know? and, and I mean, it, you know, and for me, like it was one of those things, that, I mean, even the classes that they forced you to take, you know, your art, art history classes, whatever. I mean, I can distinctly remember being, you know, in, you know, in my jobs as like an art director somewhere and somebody starts talking about something I go like, you know, if we we did the blah of the blah from the blah of the blah period, you know, we might actually yeah. incorporate that. And people go like, and then you get an image and you pass it over and they go, oh, that's perfect. And you right. go, okay. Also though, like when I was like maybe 15 years old, I had an art history class in the, you know, high school. Oh, cool. right. my, my, uh, my teacher was this woman, Rona Glasser. She's passed away since, but she like probably in a way the most influential person on me because like she both steered me in the direction of, you know, looking at, you know, she was like, okay, this kid can draw what steered me in the direction of looking at, you know, great draftsmen from the past, right. Which still is hugely influential for me, but even more so uh, in the art history class, she was like, you can't just like, or not like something for no reason. You have to have reasons and you have to be able to think critically. And like she used the art history class as an excuse to teach us to think critically, or at least me. And like, that is probably like the most, like the single most influential thing in my life. So, you know, or, you know, in a lot of, in some way, because it's so broad and it, you know, it's, it's about so much stuff. It's, it's about still. the way you approach everything, right? Yeah. I mean, it's you yeah. and and as an artist, as a storyteller, you're constantly approaching stuff and going, is this, you know, uh, is is this working or not working? And applying a set of criteria to that that you know that if you were just like, hey, I like this, you know, then you know yeah. it would just be indulgent. You know, I mean, you sound like a client right now when you say, hey, I like this or I don't. Like this. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. No, it, it's 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 wretchedly painful in that respect, you know, because it's one of those things where you you know, but you you I mean, if you don't have that, you're you're a victim of your own skill sets, you know, like you really yeah to have that because what is serving what is the serving the needs and you need to know that oh am I getting derivative here like you really have to kind of understand it through critical thinking and that's where what you were talking about you know the the idea of you know when you critique your work. I mean, that's part of the critical thinking process, you know, defend your, defend your goddamn work, you know, because not just because you think it looks cool. Like there needs to be like, yeah. And there, but I mean, there certainly as a, as a creative person, there's a, there's a difficult line to walk there where you're, you know, it is important to be really hard on the work that you do, but you can also obviously, as many of us do fall into uh, deep self-loving. So, you know, like being able to walk that line is important as well. I I wasn't, I wasn't really going at myself in that respect, but yeah, no, no, you're right. I mean, let's be kind to one ourselves. important skill set as well so i mean so in the terms of influence like i mean you 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 cited gene as as an influence and who Mm -hmm. and i can totally get it when i think about like when i look at the work um you know how you put blacks down on a page like i can see how gene because gene man like he would just throw it down i mean i would say more than 50 percent of his pages were had blacks on it so bold in that respect um 
but like what other i mean what other sort of influences like i mean and like i mean even as a kid like i found that the influences from you know the early on are the ones that came back and really did had a stronger impact as a sort of air quote mature um artist right i mean i i don't i mean i think that well the, just to address the gene colon of it all i mean in some ways it's about the that aesthetic part of it but it's also about his storytelling which i know some people have like run down like it's not clear or it's not you know whatever like utter nonsense to me like i i, I think that the um you know that like his ability to like both tell the story but tell it in a charismatic way where mm -hmm. you know he's you know putting the camera you know uh in in places that elicit emotion in a way that uh that is that's that's one of the biggest things to me like how do you present something how do you present something dramatically what's the what's the best place for that camera to be what's the th how do you elicit emotion while still getting across clarity and and sometimes not clarity when that's effective as a you know as a way to tell the story you know and uh and like all of the things are on the table so you know like uh you know a narrow idea of clarity equals greatness or whatever when you you know not not in a in a flashy way but in that kind of old-fashioned comics way of you know just knowing exactly what's going on all the time is yeah. the most important thing that wasn't what gene colin was about and Ooh. you know uh and like uh and i i think that that's that's the the most important thing about uh about his stuff for me but um and obviously the dynamics of it but the dynamics were very different than the other dynamics of marvel stuff sure you know and um the uh but other influences i mean i did certainly have you know uh influence was like the those standard sort of you know I, i'm i'm 47 years old you know uh george perez obviously who just passed away huge huge influence on me as a kid uh and uh, but at the same time like there's a point uh you know around that sort of 14 15 time where i found back issues of the 60s doom patrol that was drawn oh. by this guy bruno premiani okay. and uh and like uh who was uh, i believe he's argentinian and but he had you know he had kind of like no i'm not entirely sure i'm maybe i don't want to like say stupid things here but the but he was you know but i know that he ended up having to fl flee fascism and uh, ended up in the us and he was much much more skilled he wrote a he wrote a textbook on how to draw horses right okay. and you know uh and much his skill set was much higher than doing a low selling book at dc comics right, right. And I didn't understand that when I was just picking up these books. I was like, there's something about this that really, you know, speaks to me. Yeah. And uh, and so I, um, that, Bruno Premiani ended up being like an enormous influence on me. Uh, and uh, and I totally recommend everybody go track down the, you know, like the 60 Doom Patrol stuff. And then scattered other things that, you know, that he drew. Uh, but, um, you know, but he had a kind of illustrative quality to, to the art. He, he inked his own stuff. Wow. So, that, so there was a, a kind of there's a real weight and, yep. you know, uh, to to the work and love the way he drew animals because, you know, and it, uh, it turned out he had written a you know textbook on drawing horses. So, you know, he like he had uh, he was he was just I think that ultimately what I was responding to and didn't know was that he was just coming at this from a very different direction than yeah. other guys at the time. Yeah. That, you know, that's interesting because like. I think in retrospect, a lot of the comic book artists that 
sort of have that heavy sort of hit on you, even though you may not like at the time recognize the value of it, are the ones who come from the outside of the industry, even though they're doing it at a very high level, but it's not, but it's not like everybody else's, you know? Yeah. So like for me, like, you know, and it was really weird. I, I was in art school at the time. And I remember having a conversation with a, with a, fe a fellow student of mine and we were talking comic book artists and he named somebody who I had tons of their comics and was the single greatest influence to me really as a comic book artist, but I didn't even recognize it, hmm. you know, and it was, that was, that was Michael Golden. And I had, oh, no, sure. yeah. I had no idea, like, and you know, which I'm glad we had that conversation because it changed the course of my life in so many ways, but it was really like, Oh, you're right. Like this is, this was the thing that I had responded to. I mean, sure. I love my X-Men and, you know, my George Perez Titans and his, mm -hmm. Avengers, et cetera, and so forth. But they were just more superhero comic books. They were great superhero comic books, but they weren't this separate thing that I would, I would seek out. Like, I'm like, oh, what is that? Why is that this thing? And there's this other sort of like, I don't know, splinter. Like, I, I try to like create channels in my head of like the sort of the origin stories of styles and how they sort of filter out, you know? And there's just like, like there's this whole channel that comes like from whatever was post Mazzucchelli, you know? Like yeah. there's a, there's a huge school of wonderful artists who have just come from that that's that vein. And Mazzucchelli's like he's got this big chunk of like, you know, the European, you know, illustrators mixed with a good dose of toth, you know, mm -hmm. and oh, yeah. putting in there. And it's like, you know, so then you get like the sort of that from that post-toth Mazzucchelli thing, you get the Michael Larks and these, you know, these amazing artists who just, you know, exploding with style and weight. And, you know, and um, yeah, so I, 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 one thing for me, we're talking about these influences. Like one thing for me is that I, I want to, I need to have, you know, art around me. I need to have art books around me. I have, you know, art, you know, I have, you know, original art up on the walls of my studio, but I, by other people, obviously. And uh, I, you know, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Look how great this is. <laughs> uh, the, uh, but like, I don't want to, I don't, I try not to specifically reference things. I want right. the general sense of influence yeah. and not, you know, and not like, uh, and not go so deep with, you know, being influenced by somebody in particular. Obviously there are still things though that, you know, uh, Jorge Zafino, uh, you know, like the one Conan issue he did and the, uh, you know, and some stuff like that, that, you know, that are, touchstones where if I feel like I can I have nothing, you know, that uh, I can look at that and go, yeah, but he did this, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, that's, I mean, that's interesting. I was, we were talking with uh, Adam Gorham, uh, mm -hmm. not uh, just recently. And I think what it is, it's like, it's easy to look at something and say, okay, cool. I want to do that. You know, and you can kind of get it, you can kind of get hooked into that, that world. But I think if to be, to do it successfully and not sort of be a cover band, you know, in that sense is you, what you can do is you can look for the sort of the underlying, I call it mathematics. That's just how my brain works, but what's the mathematics? What's the, what's the algebra that solves the equations of this artwork? Because right, right. the, the artist is solving a problem. How do I solve this problem? Whether it's the layout, the structuring, the layering, the application of blacks, the rendering, whatever these things are, how do they do that? Because, 
and 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 the storytelling aspect. And you, if you can kind of break that kind of stuff down, you can throw that into the sort of the the supercomputer of your your subconscious with other solutions. And what will eventually come out will be this, you, you know, those. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just try not to think about the specifics too much past the point of just appreciating it in the first yeah. place, you know, and just let it live in my head as a kind of stew and just do things in a in a way that are obviously I'm analytical about the way that I tell stories, sure. but I'm but the but I don't um but I try not to be I I don't I, my brain just doesn't work that way and I want and I don't like things to feel like they're overtly influencing it and I just want to like express the stuff in a sort of intuitive way it's both intuitive and it's analytical at the same sure. time, yeah 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 so how did you so how like so what what's the jump from doing comic books you know or somebody else doing comic books using your body uh, back in the in the yeah, early nineties, yeah. um, that guy actually just he lives somewhere in the Midwest now. He, he's he's uh, he's involved in regional theater, as I understand oh, it. And uh, yeah, no, the Gabriel Gecko. That's he's he's got a whole life going on. But go ahead. I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So so how like so how long was that period? And then like how did you say like how did how did how did like storyboarding come into the sort of the the circle of work for you? Well. Film it, film movies, filmmaking, all this has had always been equally important to me. Okay. Right. And so uh I was a deep film nerd at the same at the, you know, when I first moved to New York, one of the first one of the things the first things I bought was uh Hitchcock Truffaut, uh the interview book with uh, where Francois Truffaut interviews yeah. Alfred Hitchcock. And like uh and the and the things that uh, Hitchcock talked about as far as storytelling goes, as visual storytelling goes, were equally as important as anything else, you know, uh, mm -hmm. comics and stuff. And I always felt like, you know, and I don't, there is a very boring conversation about storyboards versus comics and whatever. Like, it, but there is a, but the, the broader ideas of storytelling could be applied to these things in different ways that fit the medium. And, you know, and I learned a lot from that Hitchcock book. And then, you know, pursuing other stuff like that. Hitchcock is still my favorite director, but, yeah. the, um, but like, so when, uh, what happened though, was, uh, the industry tanked in the mid nineties, right? Like, uh, you know, sure. as I was going along the, there was a speculator boom, uh, and, uh, and it, the industry collapsed and there just wasn't that much work out there, but I had moved to Los Angeles, uh, you know, not being able to afford to live in New York. I uh, mm -hmm. uh, moved to Los Angeles with an idea that I would be that that I could do, conceivably do storyboards, right? Okay. And uh, um, but I put no effort into that whatsoever. Uh, and uh, and I moved out here. I did some work for Malibu Comics that still existed Yay. at the time, you know. Yeah. Hank Canals, with, yeah, Hank, I knew Hank from back then. Still yeah. know Hank. Uh, and um, and I uh, and then that dried up because of Marvel bought them, but. Kind of coincidentally, I ended up getting my first job doing storyboards right at that time. It was just okay. dumb luck. I dumb lucked into uh, meet, randomly meeting a guy who knew an agent who represented storyboard artists when I was at uh, at the bookstore in Studio City, California, uh, waiting in line to to get uh, a book signed by Mark Frost, the co-creator of Twin Peaks. Wow, so, okay. uh, like, uh, and so I ended up just talking to this guy in line, and uh, you know, and he was like, "Well, what do you do?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm, I'm drawing comics, but this, this it's kind of industry's kind of falling apart." 
and I, I'm I'm gonna I'm looking into doing some storyboards. I made no effort whatsoever, <laughs> you know. And uh, and so like uh, and he was like, oh well, I know an agent who represents storyboard artists. Uh, I'll give him you know your number number or whatever. So then next day, you call that guy. That guy's like, well, bring me over some samples, which I have of course no done no samples. Right? right? This is the opposite of my my you know uh, <laughs> comics thing where I was doing them constantly. And so that night I was, I was just like, well, I better draw some storyboard samples. So I did, I drew, I basically just bullshitted this sequence that uh, like I'd been a guard at the Guggenheim. So I had spent a lot of time standing around thinking while in the Guggenheim. And so I, I, you know, always sort of imagined some action set piece set in the rotunda of the Guggenheim. And so that's what I did. I just, I did a, uh, um, I just kind of bullshitted out this, this uh, like action sequence uh, mm -hmm. sat in the Guggenheim with, you know, with whatever and did that overnight, took it, took it, met with this guy. The guy was like, yeah, I think I could get you some work. And, uh, and then got me, got me a commercial, which actually the first commercial I did was the worst professional experience I've ever had in my life. And I thought that I would never, you know, that storyboards were not for me and I was never going to do any more of them, but then right. I, I did a little more and, you know, and then, got the first feature film that I that I did, which was a completely different experience than the crass, horrible world of working on commercials. So like uh, then uh, I once I got into this more creative world of things, uh, it all went a lot better. And uh, and I totally dumb lucked into it. Like I remember going to the um, the San Diego Comic-Con like the next year after the industry had collapsed and running into people and they were desperate and you know whatever and i was just like i'm making more money than i've ever made in my life i don't know what to say like i you know they're like uh, what do you do and i'm like i'm i'm storyboarding this movie called austin powers it's like my right. players is in it and stuff right you know and uh so like you know that it was it was a dumb luck transition but and then i ended up you know, doing storyboards exclusively for like 10 years, which burned me out a little bit in that direction too. Well, it's, it's interesting because at, at that time also, that's when the, uh, the sort of the, uh, you know, the Los Angeles animation television world was cherry picking all the comic book artists away mm. at San Diego. So you go right. in at San Diego and you'd hang out and you're thinking, hey, I'm going to go try to see if I could hook up another pro few projects, line up for the next, get the year going. And then like all these animation people will come rolling in and they would just portfolio, you know, hunt mm, and they'd yeah, go, yeah, yeah. Hey, right. you'd be really good for drawing props. You'd be really good for doing right, backgrounds. Right. And they just like pull well, up. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was, it was really fortunate though, that I ended up not, not getting going down that route. I'm not an animation guy at all. And yeah. I, you know, uh, but I am, you know, I Ooh. love films. Right. And yeah. so like filmmaking it, live action filmmaking is my thing. So like if uh, I'm I'm glad that that's where things went, that is what I'm the best at. So, right. you know, uh, the um, I I was ne but I've never had anything to do with animation, not even by design. Like literally, right. it's just never crossed my path. You know, So you said something not just about the Guggenheim, which made me realize something in that. You know, you said like, oh, hey, I had to make up some stuff. And so you you created this, this sequence, you know, that you had thought about in the Guggenheim. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it goes kind of in parcel to our talking about writing your own stuff and doing your own things. Like that is an act, that is a point where you said, okay, I need to tell the story that I need to tell that's going to sort of be the most interesting for me, but also probably showcase what I can do the best. Yeah. Because had you been handed a script, 
you know, maybe if you had a script laying around or somebody you knew someone like, yeah, here, here's a script. You would have had to hunt through that thing to find something that was going to be worth of. And will this show off what I can do? Because I remember that like with doing samples, which you, you know, you're saying do that, like, you know, they were like, oh, hey, here's a script. Do some pages from a script. And I would look at the scripts and go like, ugh, these are yeah. horrible. And well, I would, uh, yeah, yeah, no, and I, I, know. Would, I know. So I'd yeah. write out a four or five page sequence of my own and then do the thing just because I'm like, I don't like, why am I going to let somebody else dictate what I can totally, do? Totally, totally. And I do remember doing, I would, I would, you know, I would make up those samples, you know, those, those multi-page uh, set samples for mm -hmm. comics and go around, especially after I moved to New York, I would go to the cons around there and show them to the editors and stuff. And I would, and I, I do remember getting, you know, uh, editors going, well, you clearly, you know, you could tell a story. You should be writing stories as well. You know, um, I mean, that didn't happen in that world at that time, you know, right. but, uh, the uh but like yeah i i need the initiative of it oh and just one other thing neil posner sent me a 22 page like uh green lantern comic at one script at one point for a book for an issue that hadn't been published yet like okay. as a kind of here pick some pages from this to do and so i just drew all 22 pages of it and oh, sent yeah. it back so oh, you know because i was just like i'm not i'm no i'm gonna do the whole thing i'm just gonna like commit you know wow, okay uh, so uh I don't know that it was great, but well, I didn't do a great job. It would have been but, hilarious you know. if you had hand drawn out a uh, an invoice receipt, you know, like one yeah. of the, 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 <laughs> I was just like, look, I'm, you know, I'm, I want to, you know, I want to get someplace with this. I'm, you know, yeah. I'm just going to go for it. You know, yeah, you I sure. may have done that. I think I did that an entire issue of Green Lantern and an entire issue of Suicide Squad that, that he sent me scripts for. Uh, oh, and wow. just as like, because I was determined. Because you know? look, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you have to kind of like show like you're like, how do I set myself apart? You know, like mm -hmm. I've already have a dialogue. So like I my flashy, you know, folders that I've been mailing in, they finally got through like they're, they're opening up my mail. Now, yeah. how do I set myself apart from the next people? Because I'm not getting things yeah. back in the terms of money. One thing you can do is make up a goofy name. That that also was part of why I, I did it. <laughs> I, I I almost came up with one in the in the mid nineties. Howard Porter and I were joking, and we came up with a character named Tex X. Mm -hmm. It's going to be oh a, yeah a comics name Tex X. That was actually the original title for Blazing Saddles. You know uh, the uh, no, I'm not joking. The oh, the original script for uh, for for Blazing Saddles was called Tex X. It was no kidding. Uh, yeah yeah. Um, That's funny. Uh, it, before Mel Brooks got involved. Uh, the Andrew Bergman, I think, wrote it. Sorry, I know too much about. The no, no, but, but did, was Pryor involved in the rewrite of that? That, that yeah, thing? yeah, he was. He was it, him and uh, um, and a couple of you know, uh, I think Norman Steinberg and a couple like there was like a little writers' room of people. Right, right, and then uh, yeah. and then they just I guess they didn't feel that he was a person who could like sort of like be a lead vehicle, so that's why they got. No, no it was because he was he had a, a reputation of being a chaotic. Drug yeah. using, you yeah. know, nut job, which he was, but that was yeah. also what made him great, right? Yeah. And so, uh, it, you know, but then, yeah, and that's why they ended up getting Cleveland Little, and I think Cleveland Little actually is the right choice. Oh my God, because he's that, so great. So yeah. that was like always a family favorite film, like that, like we would all every anytime that was on television, everyone would just sit down and just watch that movie all the way through because it was just yeah. It's. I just watched it again not that long ago, and it's it's great. It's undeniably great. It's yeah. really one of yeah. It's really one of my 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 all time favorite comedies. Certainly in the Mel Brooks verse, you know. Oh like, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, Mel Brooks runs out of steam pretty quick. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like he, that and Young Frankenstein, and you know. Oh yeah, my mom. Those took, are great, but yeah. yeah, my mom took me to Young Frankenstein. You know, and it was just like, 
it was like just one of those great moments. She also took me oh, to yeah. Star Trek. Star Trek won the motion picture. So oh, yeah. yeah, good yeah. mom. Yeah, um, yeah. So all right. So yeah. So the storyboard thing kind of comes into play, and like you're getting. So I mean, you're kind of getting to mix your sort of your visual, you know, hand storytelling with drawing that you love from comic books but you're getting to now apply it to the cinematic universe of Mm -hmm. film, which I can see like you're now you're mixing your two favorite like things, getting to have pasta and ice cream at the same time, you know, like it's great. Um, Don't eat that. That's, that's, I wanted to say pizza and ice cream, but for some reason, pasta and ice cream. One time when I, when I lived in New York uh, and I had zero money and it was before I got the comics gig and I don't, it was maybe before I even got the, I think it was, I was in art school. I had nothing to eat. The only thing to eat in the house was, uh, or in the apartment was uh, pasta, dry pasta and honey. And so I thought, so maybe this goes together, maybe. you know, and it didn't. It didn't. So don't, yeah. I mean, maybe it does now. Maybe like, maybe there's some way you can add some little extra thing to it. But don't. Maybe we could, maybe artists could work. Maybe we could do a collaborative book from artists called the Don't Cook Book. Yes. Of all <laughs> yes. the things that, that artists have tried to cook to eat because they had no money. Yes. And this yeah. is just a warning label of just don't, don't, don't. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry, um, did, don't, didn't mean to derail. The there's no, di- there's no digressing. I am, I am, I am all over the map at all times. So, okay, so it's exciting because I think you know, you know, you hang out with comic book artists in general, and there's a strong connection to film with lots of comic book mm. art to the point where they're like, you would get some people who are like, well, I really want to be a director. I'm like, well, just go be a director. Stop. Yeah, it's, here. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I mean, so you did really well, like quickly. I'm, it's, it feels like you did pretty well right out of the the movie stuff. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, uh, the, the way that stuff works is just you, you know, you work on a show, a film, we call them shows, regardless of what they are. Uh, and, um, we call film shows and, uh, and you uh, and you just make connections with people, and the and somebody goes, you know, somebody needs a recommendation for a storyboard artist, and somebody's like, hey, that guy on that one was really good, and you just get the next gig. And I, but I also got into the um, to the union, which is now the Art Directors Guild, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it, and I got in pretty quick, like compared to a lot of people. A lot of people spend ages working on non-union films trying to get into the to the uh, guild. I, uh, I again kind of lucked into it because the first movie I did was Austin Powers. It was a non-union movie while, uh, it was being prepped Hmm. while, you know, in pre-production. And, uh, and so that's why I was able to work on it. And then it went union when it, when they started shooting. So, uh, so I was able to go to the producer, Eric McLeod and, and say, Hey, if you could report my hours, uh, you know, since this is now a union show, if you could report my hours to the union, that got me into the union, right? So it was, uh, there, there's, all, there's no coherent way to get into a union, right? It's always some weird grandfathered thing, right? Well, did, you, so, wear, uh, did you wear that blue pair of underwear that you're supposed to wear every other <laughs> Wednesday? No? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, I, um, uh, the fact that I got into the union so early gave me the opportunity to work on bigger movies. And, you know, uh, and lots of people don't have that. So it was also a sort of a dumb luck thing that I got that. And then, uh, and then, but, and then I had the agent for like a year 
and then he was not the most reliable guy in the world. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, and I ended up just going after, like, he didn't quite realize that he hadn't signed me for real. Right. Like for this whole time. And so when I, when I, I got a job on, um, terrible movie right terrible terrible movie but it was a big movie at the time wild wild west right this uh terrible late 90s movie yeah Uh, but uh but like i i went in and interviewed for that and i i negotiated my own rate up right and he he didn't have anything to do with this because i was recommended by somebody i knew from the x files that i worked on and uh and then like all of a sudden he got very worried and uh and wanted me to sign with him properly you know (laughs) And, um, and I was like, uh, I don't know. And then he like got super drunk at one, uh, one night and called me up and yelled at me. And then I was oh, like, no. well, I definitely don't need to sign with you. And so, uh, so I thought, well, I'll get another agent when I run out of work, you know? And that was 1998. So I, and I, I've never had another agent since then. That's so funny. it's, it's really just a question of, you know, you, you make relationships within the business, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and I mean, that's, I think that's with most every business, but it's, you know, it, because I mean, I think we all dream of the idea of having an agent of somebody who like handles the business, you know, and yeah, like, hands, nice. you the, yeah. hands you the right amount of work for the times that you need it. And, you know, doesn't overload you. And, you know, right. and, and I have, I have an agent for other stuff, you know, other movie business type stuff, you know, right. but not, not to get me jobs as a storyboard artist. I don't. Yeah. Do yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like, what would you say are the, I mean, like, what are your, what are your strictures as far as storytelling? Like, what are the values for storytelling that you kind of consider the crucial elements? Because you, you have been called out um, by at least one guest on this podcast, totally unsolicited, you know, that you are one of like the best storytellers and they learn tons from you. So, um, and like so i mean that's like there are people out there who i consider phenomenal storytellers and you are a great storyteller but i wanted like what can i've talked to a bunch of them and i just want to know like what you think makes for good storytelling um as far as good visual storytelling is concerned uh like i uh i often say um well look at look at, at what's what's happening in in the scene uh, what right. what looks what's happening in in the particular panel? Put the important thing someplace where people can see it. <laughs> like, you know, like it's you know, yes, you should. Yes, this is all about nuances of composition and leading your eye through things and and all that sort of stuff. And all of that is really important. But you know, uh, and I guess I am sort of you know speaking to the clarity thing here. But uh, but like uh, I I do think that there are kind of just. You, you can get so far into the weeds of thinking about this stuff and process and, you know, uh, yeah. and, you know, and, and everything. And to the point where you forget, like, just put the important thing where people can see it. Sure. Have things move left to right. Like, right. And have it, you know, like, have you know, For just, sure. just, you know, like, just, just like move the, their eye across the page. Yes. Move, move things from, you know, in, you know, like, don't, you know, don't, don't put it over here, put it over here because yeah. that's where your eye is going to go, you know? Yeah. And the, um, you know, and like, I think there are, and you get into different, I mean, there are radically different ideas about these things between films and uh, and comics because comics are static and we're having, you know, and you have to like, you have to do a lot of heavy lifting to make sure that people are looking the place that they should be looking. In right. a film, 
you're, you know, it's being presented to you in a way where, uh, where now you're seeing one image at a time and, you know, those images have to go together, right? Like you, those cuts have to make sense, but, um, you know, but like, uh, the difference between leading somebody's eye through a comic and leading somebody through a film are, uh, it's, it's a huge gap. They don't have that much in common in a certain way. In some ways they do. Mm -hmm. And the ways that they do are just the ways that you can use the composition to tell people where to look, you right. know? And I mean, that, that is, as far as the visual storytelling aspects of it, that's what I think about the most. The other thing that I think about the most is doing, uh, you know, which is another road to not being popular, but like doing the minimum, like I don't generally don't push the expressions of people. I, you know, I want it to feel like, there is uh, that there I want to express an underlying tension with the least amount of like bombastic stuff. Right. Things will get bombastic. This is the other. Here's another giant rule. Everything can't have impact. Right. If everything has impact, nothing has impact. So yep. like just like it has to be about that same kind of thing that Hitchcock was talking about in Hitchcock Truffaut, where you in sequences, it's a, you know, it, you're orchestrating, you're, you're going down here and here's where the tension rises and here's where, you know, about, you know, all of that stuff, like all those things that sound so simple are, are things that it's so easy to forget and get lost in. And, you know, um, I, you know, I, I love that sort of orchestration of the way the story is told and the pacing and all that sort of stuff. But I also, I, it is really one of the things that I always think about is the way in comics, how I express uh, character stuff is to give less, right? Like how suggest that something else is going on inside their head. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, because uh, it's the context that's telling the story. It's the, the juxtaposition of images, the, you know, those like, you know, putting the two images together and creating the third idea. Is, that's a commonality between comics and film because that's what you're doing every time you cut in a film and it's what you're doing from panel to panel in a comic. Yeah. So like if you, you know, you, you have to be aware that you're not just spoon feeding information to people you are saying, you know, here's, here's an element and then you cut to the next element, but those two have to add up into something more. Yes. No, no, I, I totally, I totally get it. I mean, cause that's really, it, it is, a, it is a layering. And I think like, that's the unique thing about comic books versus film is that you know that aspect ratio is the aspect ratio more yeah. or less for a yeah. film. Um, you have infinite aspect ratios kind of available to you on a comic book page, which is that sort of X factor of storytelling to be able to take you know what you're doing here on this page with a long you know establishing shot, which you can't do in film. Mm -hmm. You know, top you know a vertical yeah. establishing yeah. shot, and then you can kind of like even pace, a little more information, cut, cut wider shot you know i mean like these are these are things yeah. that are, are you know because close up close up you know so i mean it's a really interesting way to kind of look at it you know and conversely like when you're going like you know for this like you know you're moving your camera like the characters yeah. through the camera here and like how you know so you're indicating the, the direction lines I think you know that's really clear you know in your inception you know work you know I mean, yeah like, yeah yeah. You know, so it's, well, that's, it's, I mean, that's a confusing, difficult thing to express story-wise. So clarity no, is important. But uh, the, you know, uh, can I say one other thing about my approach to the to the comics? Yes, please, please. That one of the things that people talk about a lot that I I disagree with is that uh, that the the only like the truest form of comics is when you're 
uh, when you're doing everything that a comic book can do, right? That you're, you know, uh, you can put, uh, you could use, you know, uh, that, uh, and I actually don't have the greatest way to express this, but the, but what for me, what I'm trying to do all the time is sort of boil things down a little bit, trying to like uh, uh, use the minimal amount of, of stuff sure. like that, not, not go for it every time do, you know, like be relatively conservative with the way that, that the, you know, the panels are laid out and relatively conservative with this stuff and just doing, you know, a, a res restrained thing, restrained, mm -hmm. often restrained from the character point of view as well, uh, until we get to the point where things can, can break open, you know, where, where, where you can get to more dynamic stuff, never do all that all the time. Well, it's like, know? it's like cooking, man. Like, you know, like, you know, chili flakes are phenomenal, but if you mm -hmm. put in the food, when you're cooking it, everything is hot and tastes like chili flakes. Yeah. Yeah. But if you sprinkle the chili flakes on after you've cooked it. Well, now you're getting this sort of these hits of piquancy that don't, that, that, complement what you're eating so i think that like in the storytelling process if you establish because like, if you establish a world where you know there are no panel borders or everything is, is exploding out of panel borders and there's no gutters or whatever the things are and there's no there's no sort of grid structure well the reader isn't grounded you know you need yeah. to, you need to kind of and I'm not saying everything has to be a calm you can start off that way but you better calm things down so you can let the reader sort of orient themselves. Um, you know, film is the same way. Writing is the same way. You need to give your reader, viewer, listener, whatever the person is, even structure. You need to give them some sort of point of view. Yeah. And you need to be able to um, both use all of these things to manipulate people and be able to back off from them as yeah. well. And, you know, like, uh, and, I, and I just, I don't, I don't think that, um, throwing everything at the wall all the you can, every tool is valid and yeah. you can use anything yep. but you know but like uh but throwing all of it at the wall all the time is not the prime form of something it's you know it's being able to, to look at all of your options and for me my personal just personally aesthetic wise it's about pulling back and being you know and being a little bit understated about stuff so that bigger stuff can have impact yeah. And I mean, in, in this, I mean, it's like the storytelling principle of having, you know, of, of, you know, varying your shots, you know, pull back. Yeah. Well, what? but it just in that word varying, it makes it sound like there's something arbitrary there. And the, right. you know, and to me, like everything has a, the, there you, every situation, every shot has a place it desperately wants to be. Right. Yes. Like yeah. the, where the angle wants to be someplace and that one place is the place it has to be. Yes. And that's telling that story. Right. Yeah. And so, and it's like intrinsically there yep. and you just got to know, you got to be able to look at a situation and go, this is where the camera has the camera, you know, has yeah, yeah, to yeah. Be, you know? And so like, I, I think that that's something that a, a something that I remember, you know, when showing my samples around to editors, when I was, you know, a teenager was, you know, less knowledgeable editors saying, um, you know, saying you need to vary, not to me necessarily, yeah, but just yeah, to people yeah. in general, you you need to vary your camera angles. And it's like, that doesn't mean anything, Why? right? Like that doesn't mean anything like that. You need, yeah. what you need to do is put the camera in the most effective place to tell that particular part of the story. At any totally. Point. 
And so, so the, the, but how I, now I hear, I went to art school and, you know, and they teach you all this storytelling, you know, we have the Gene Collins and the Will Eisners and the Jorland. Yeah, all the people I had no, uh, I, that I wasn't able to learn from, but uh, right. except in like visual storytelling or whatever, but like yeah. where I actually got that, what you're talking about and what I had developed from that was when I first got to meet um, Michael Golden and, and, and work with him is he said to me, he's like, listen, there's there are things that you need to tell in the in the panel. Every panel you have, there's things that you have to build. It's not a matter of filling up a page. It's a matter of having you know telling the story and what it needs to be in each panel. Close your eyes and think about where that mini camera is going to be. Move it around in your head at the angle that's going to show all the information that you need to tell for that panel. And that coupled with what I've sort of developed was my sort of mandatories I list. So every like, you know, if I did a cover, if I do a design piece, if I do, if I did comic book pages, everything had a mandatory list. What needs to be here? Don't yeah. put things there. Oh, that yeah, definitely. definitely. So, Although yeah. you, you can still put a bunch of other junk in there for texture. And, for sure. it's, and it is a way to, you know, to like manage the way people look at a page too. But go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, totally. But you, but you, but you need to keep whatever the mandatory list is in there so that camera's moving along so that way that camera moves along tells a story around the characters and the action in the scene or whatever needs yeah. to happen and that's what that that is you, you know what i feel is that strength when it comes to storytelling and you employ it you know you know what we would say is effortlessly well um, yeah. <laughs> i mean so uh, but also to go back to that hitchcock Truffaut thing the one of the really crucial things in there for me was there there were some uh some things where they would just break down, uh, you know, each shot, shot by shot through a sequence, right? Yeah. And uh, and Hitchcock talked about, I can't remember if he referenced Padovkin in particular or, or wait, what's his name? The Russian film theory guy who, who actually thought about this, but the um, but like uh, Padovkin wrote a book called Film Technique that that involves, you know, uh, this idea that uh, that that the way that you can elicit emotion is about the juxtaposition of the images. The, you know, the, the, the classic version of it is, you know, there's a, um, there's a man with, a, you know, you can have a, a, a shot of a, uh, of an actor with just a blank face. And then you cut to uh, a shot of a baby and the, uh, and the viewer implies that that guy is looking at the baby and going, Oh, you know, like uh, this is a sweet baby or whatever. Right. right? You could take the same sh blank face shot of the actor and, you know, and cut, cut to a shot of a, a, a nude woman. Right. And right. and then you, you'd go, oh, he's being lascivious or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, and like it's the same shot. It's just that the the thing that it's paired with changes. So the juxtaposition is different. Yeah. And like that's something that I think about all the time, because it's uh, you don't you don't have to. um you don't have to like sell everything through like the expression on the character's face or whatever. It's also about the juxtaposition of what sure. they're interacting with. Yeah, context. I mean, context is king. I mean, that gives us that gives us so much more to work with. Right, um, but it's also it's the way you you can manipulate the context. Yeah. I think is the the thing. Yeah, no, that, that, I mean, it, no, yeah, I mean that that's sort of like you know, by advertising 101, you know, like you're, 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 how do we, how do we manipulate the audience into, you know, you know, can we elicit a sentiment, feeling, right. emotion or whatever? Yeah. 
And that's, you know, and that is, and, and I, what you're speaking of is exactly that point. Right. But the units of storytelling in, particularly in comics are just, there's a page and there's a panel and the panel, you know, cut from panel to panel and those, you know, and, and the, the ability to juxtapose those images is something that I think maybe we don't think about enough. I probably don't think about it enough. I don't do it enough, right? You know, um, and, uh, and to get a third thing, like creating that third idea, the idea that the guy, you know, is looking lovingly at a baby or that he's a creep looking at a, at a woman, you know, those, those ideas are just created in the viewer's head. And creating that third idea is the thing that's so important because it elevates it beyond just uh, court transcripts or something. You're not, you're not explaining what's happening to people sure. blow by blow. You are, you know, uh, you're engaging the reader in a way. And I always, I mean, uh, I always want my ideal version of everything is uh, that the reader is meeting me halfway. They are, you know, uh, I'm, I'm putting this out there, but they have to work a little bit too. Well, they're an act. I mean, that's. The, I mean, that's the thing about reading. Reading is an is an act of participation. You know, yeah. unlike unlike television, which is less participatory than more of a bystanding sort of activity. You know, film is more participatory because it demands you to pay attention. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, like you know, television tells you what they're doing as they're doing it. You know, you can kind of look away, and they'll be telling you like, what what's in this closet? You know, you like rather than just opening a closet. Yeah. Going a reaction yeah. shot. Yeah, or you know, the, I mean, there's a there's a classic thing in uh, Rosemary's Baby uh, where uh, we're we're not allowed to talk about Roman Polanski anymore, but I'm going to anyway the, uh, because he was he was he was he was a, an amazing storyteller and sure. the um, and like in Rosemary's Baby the uh, there's a scene where uh, the um, where I you know um, Ruth Gordon I think is in a is in another goes into another room to answer the phone and. The shot is framed in a way where you just can't, you can't quite see her face around the corner, right? And so, and everybody in the theater kind of leans over as if they're going to be able yeah. to see around that corner, right? Totally. And it's, it's like the most brilliant way to like manipulate the audience, put them off kilter in a way yeah. that you're not aware of exactly, but is very effective. And so... Stuff like that, I think about a lot too. Creating tension, tension. in unlikely ways. You yeah, know? you're everybody at that point. Everybody is trying to eavesdrop. Yeah, and, and it's and it, just see the little thing that he's not letting them see. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. not about here clarity presenting everything to everybody in the in the biggest dumbest way. It's about you know it's it's about measuring that stuff and about going like. It, you, uh, people will get a little frustrated by this and getting them a little frustrated because they don't see everything or know everything is good a lot of the time. Yeah. Wow. That's that, yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's super strong and it's totally something like, I think in every respect, everyone should take a little bit of that and add more of that stuff into whatever work. Yeah. Cause yeah. I think, I think there is, there's a great value in, you know, not giving everything, you know, yeah. all. Oh yeah. I think Look, I also am a big Twin Peaks fan, right? So yeah, I, yeah. I, I may be a little guilty when it comes to enjoying things that doesn't give that don't give you everything because oh, Twin man. Peaks gives you almost nothing. So no, no, but, but that's was, a whole other end of the spectrum. But still. oh my god, that was that was that show was like you know you receive an envelope with a handful of images and words every week, and you had to slap them up on the wall to go like, okay, 
how does this connect to the ones that we've already seen? Yeah, like it was yeah. real. It was a yeah. real jigsaw puzzle of a, of a show. And but those those frustrations, those those things where you don't know, even in things that aren't well made to some extent, they sure. they can have elements that are open that don't you know even if they're not intentional, even if they're like I was watching like. Uh, so, I mean, I like Star Wars, right? I, sure. But uh, so uh, like there's going to be the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. And yeah. and I was like, okay, I'm going to rewatch these prequels, right? With the with the minute, right? Yeah, yeah. And so in the second prequel, the, the Attack of the Clones, there's a thing in it where like a, uh, an old uh, uh, Jedi is referenced by name who we never see. And you don't understand his relationship to why any of the rest of things happen about building a clone army and stuff like this and it's obviously just kind of a fuck up in the middle that they never were I mean, able to pay off this element of the movie but there is a weird way where the fact that this is so impenetrable is yeah. the thing that i'm the most interested in in this yeah. movie right ideas right yes Cyphodius, exactly yeah. which which it, like it's like it can't be like a they say that he was a real right. guy, but it also just sounds like Sidious, but it also is this, it's like, it's yeah. there's no way to reconcile this. And oh. that's the most interesting thing in the damn movie because like, it's not intentional, but it's but it creates a kind of big question that you can't yeah. quite wrap your head around. And I like that in things. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. Yeah, that's, a, it, it's it's interesting. Uh, I'm, yeah, <laughs> I love how you're <laughs> Have you made have you made it to the, the third one yet? Yeah, I, I watched them all. I okay. liked I there's there's I, things to like in the third one. I enjoyed listen, I enjoyed them thoroughly when they came out. Not that I liked loved everything about sure, it. I sure. really enjoyed them, you know, as they came out. And you know from this remove, I'll say this. I give I I'll give George Lucas credit in those movies for he's trying to say something. He yeah. is trying to say something in those yeah. movies. And there's a lot of movies these days that are not trying to say something. They're just repackaging nostalgia. And he was not doing that. He was, no. he, I'm not saying those movies are good, but no, he's no. Ma he's making a sort of anti-nostalgia, uh, you know, series that, uh, that doesn't deliver on the things you think are supposed to happen. Yes. And he's trying to say a big thing that probably doesn't fit in the world of Star Wars that well, but it, you know, but he, but he's the guy who determines what Star Wars is. So he's sure. going for it so I'll, the, i'm that's my defense of the prequels he laid he laid the, the the biggest bricks of you know the foundation of our generation when it came to you know this these these you know fantastic storytelling worlds and like yeah you know he, they're his lego he can do what he wants with them you know i'd still like my biggest beef with it was like you blow the whole you blew the biggest like thing in all the star wars films which is you know you know you know Luke, I'm your father. I mean, I'm not yeah. exactly the line, but like yeah. blow it. Like you'd make three. Yeah. Although, <laughs> you know, like there's, a, you're not, nobody's obligated to, you know, like, you know, watch, watch them in the order they came out, you know, and then it doesn't I, get blown, I, you know, like it's, yeah, it's that's, that's a perfectly exactly. valid way to, to, to tell a story. I think so, that's, um, a, you know, I think that's a legit way of, way of doing that. Um, can we just, I want to just briefly talk. Well, you don't want to just keep talking about the Star Wars prequels forever? <laughs> I think, you know what, there's plenty of people doing that job for us. So oh my we, God, yes. We, we could let it go. They're very angry and they're, and they're, they're getting a lot of views on YouTube. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> I, maybe I, maybe I've gotten the wrong rack when it came to YouTube. Um, yeah. The problem is I like all the stuff. I'm like, I'm like, I, I don't have time yeah, to agree yeah. about things. Yeah, so me neither. Yeah. So the, this is this is one of the most complicated sort of like you know camera like film scenes in a, in quite a long time. Um, yeah. Like what? How like? 
how did it come across to you and, and what were the particular challenges um, in creating this, you know, it, it, the visualizing this out for you? Um, well, working on Inception, I mean, the, that was the first movie I worked on with Chris Nolan. And so okay. it was, you know, uh, it was it was really just about, uh, you know, it, well, OK, so in the in the world of these these movies, it's almost unheard of to actually have a finished script when you start. Right. Yeah. Like this doesn't happen that much. It's just an unfortunate reality of everything with on the Nolan movies. There's a script when you start and that script is more or less what's going to end up being the movie. And with obvious, it's a big production. Things change along the way to some extent, but that's basically the blueprint for everything. He also writes in an incredibly spare way. So you're not getting an enormous amount of context out of the script. Uh, and so it's just a question of going and meeting with Chris and talking about them. He, it was a lot less about him. He did not give me a lot of really specific shots. And as a matter of fact, for most of my career in, you know, as a storyboard artist, it's not about, it has not been about directors going, I need a shot of this, I need a shot of this, I need a shot of this. It's about going, here's the script, or more likely in a lot of cases, here's an idea of some big sequence that we want. And, right. you know, and that I go off, take a shot at design, present to the director who will then make changes to it, right? And, uh, and so with Chris, it was just about going in and meeting with him and talking through the incredibly complicated elements of the story of Inception and um, and uh, and trying to like get a handle on that. Then, you know, my like uh, in my job and particularly for some reason, for many movies, especially since then, I've been the, like the only storyboard artist on something. So okay. like it's not really been a team necessarily. Usually I'm just like my own department. So like yeah. I'll, you know, I go, I talk to the transpo guy about what kind of truck it is. I talk to the art department about this. I talk to whoever about, you know, and try to get the best picture I can of what I'm working with. And, you know, so that I'm, you know, I'm using those things and I'm representing what's really going to be able to be shot in the best cool. way possible. Right. Yeah. So like the, um, and in, in this stuff, most of the complexity was just about, coordinating all of those things and talking to Chris about what he was after, because even though the script is very set, it's often so sparely written that you're kind of going, what, you know, like, uh, you know, like there, there's not a lot, you're not going, there's not a lot to go by as far as what's in the world of it and what's, you know, it's the minimal amount of action description, you know, and dialogue. So, um, which I don't think that's a bad way to work at all. And I write that way in a, yeah maybe not that spare, but like in a relatively spare way myself. But, um, but uh, yeah, it's a lot about coordinating between all these different people and departments and then, uh, and then taking a shot at stuff, showing it to the director and making adjustments. Huh. That's, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, cause I mean, it, it's, it's, I think that's a really valuable thing to, for people to be aware of, you know, when you're working on whatever the project of the thing you're working on, don't be so siloed into it in your own sense. Like there are other people involved in this thing. Speak to the people and, you know. Oh yeah. Well, filmmaking is a giant collaborative, huge. you know, machine or it's like a war, you know? Yeah. And so the, um, uh, it, it's, if you're like, if you're not, I mean, this is, I mean, probably part of the reason I've just been successful with this stuff is that I really understand filmmaking really well. Yeah. Right. And, you know, uh, and I'm, I'm able to, you know, to, to take in all those different parts of it and, you know, and not, I'm not, you know, there, there's a, there's a thing where you can be kind of like, 
a petulant, whiny little storyboard illustrator or somebody sitting over in a corner doing this stuff and just resentful of things and, you know, yeah. and feeling like you're not whatever. I just always approach it like, this is this is a team. I'm part of this. I'm gonna I'm gonna you know like whether or not they like it or not. I'm gonna interact with everybody and get all the information that I need. You know? Well, and I think I mean it's it's sort of it, you know to tie it up. It I mean it kind of goes to two points of of you and what you you've talked about is one it's the it's the kid who opted to draw two full comic books you know when handed a script. So yeah. you're going, you're going full tell, and it's also the writer in you that writes a full script to eliminate the 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 sort of the, the downstream effects that could cause problems like you know less rocks downstream means less chances the boats tipping over yeah. and so if you're doing this whole thing and then the transpo guy comes back and says no we can't that's not the kind of vehicle yeah, we we're doing we 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 have to get a different truck right. yeah <laughs> we can't do this yeah right. yeah so now are you screwing the budget are you screwing you know I mean, like the whole thing so like to do that you know, it's like if you're on a if you're designing something and it has to be printed, go talk to the printer. Right. Don't start designing. You know, go like, hey, right. what can we do? Because here's some ideas, and they go, well, we could do that, but we could do it better if you did this. And then you go, okay, let me figure out how to make that yeah. work. So I think those but are really there is just not to cut you off, but there is an opposite version of this though, because um, I'm you know, uh, I, I just worked on a movie for two solid years, the longest I've ever worked on anything. Wow. And, uh, the, um, and all through the pandemic, like it started the week Los Angeles closed down. So, uh, and I finished two months ago or something like that. So almost two years. And, uh, like there is an element of working on these things where the fact all these other departments have a budget, right? Like, mm -hmm. and they are, they are fighting for their budget. The art department, everybody is fighting for their budget and trying to get, you know, to spend less money on things, but get the desired result. And uh, so they push for, sometimes push for less ambitious versions of stuff. I am a, a department of one who reports to the director I don't care about their budget, right? Sure. So I'm going to push for the thing that is more ambitious and not care because I don't have to pay for it. So like, uh, and if that puts them in a difficult circumstance, that's, you know, that sucks. That's but true. I mean, it's, it, yeah. but it's still that my intent is always like what, you know, obviously I'm working for the director, but I'm, but, it, but I'm always just like, you know, let's do this thing. Like there's a thing from Logan, the movie Logan I worked on. Yeah. Um, where uh where we went uh for the reshoots i went back and there was a part at the end that was a little messy and you know a tree falls on him or something and uh and like uh and everybody was like what do you what are we gonna how do we fix this what do we do within the constraints of what we can do and i was just like i was in the meeting with everybody and there's a big giant truck and there's a character who could in some superhero way, pick up the truck and throw it. And I was just like, these are the elements we have. Pick up the truck and throw it on him. You right. know, picking up the truck and throwing on him costs $750,000 or whatever, right? But I'm like, just like, that's the creative thing to do here. That's yeah. the right creative decision here, right? Yeah. And, you know, uh, you know, and then, then it, you know, every, it goes to it. I'm not saying it's my idea or that I'm not taking credit for anything. But no, the, no. Um, But like the, uh, you know, like, after that, you know, uh, people who, you know, producer, one of the producers who work on the movie always is like, you're the guy who made us spend all the money on the truck. 
you know, like, so, you know, like there is an element where you can kind of be the person who advocates for more ambitious things yeah. because you feel like it's the right storytelling thing to do too. Yeah. So it's not all just about, you know, being a strict collaborator. No, no, I, I get that. I mean, I, I, have a, I have a great client that when we're dealing with other clients, like I say to these other clients, I'm like, I'm like, part of my job is to like, spend all this money on whatever's going to be on the floor, like whatever's going to be made, like I want it to be as amazing and as powerful as possible. And that costs money. Like it's like, it's hard to get away with, you know, something to yeah. wow people that's cheap, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. and you just go. And so like, so I, my, my client, you know, I'm like, I'm like, Hey, like, sorry, but that's what we, that's what I sold through because this is what they love, you know, yeah. and then it becomes a discussion about how do we solve this problem. But, um, yeah, I, I get it, man. It's, it, it's, it's a magical, it's a magical game of like, you, you know, compete with my animation that, or my, my imagination that costs nothing yeah. now make it caught and that make it real, you know, yeah. and that's, that's fine. You know, but in the end result, you know, hopefully the great thing is that amazing things are made, you know, from these. Yeah, and it's these tensions working against each other. Oh, sure. Think, it's know, like the are, are, are important as well, you know. Yeah. You know, that's why the police were, are one of the great bands, because there was just constant tension. Mm -hmm. Three people who are so good trying to fight for some sort of vision. That's what you get. So uh, sure. and multiply that by like 700 and there you have a film. So right. it's great. Right. Um, so what can people like? What do you have stuff coming out that people can see? Um, so, like I said, I spent two years working on that film. Uh, it was, really it was un comic books. It was, you know, it, it was a weird situation for me. I've never spent that long in a film, and, and yeah. I, in a lot of ways, I had spent years kind of balancing out uh, working for you know four or five months on a film, and then spending the rest of the year on comics and stuff. So, uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm back to working on comics now. I've got a couple of projects that I'm working on. Good. But, uh, um, Are you writing? So, them? Oh yeah, that's these are things that I'm only doing. Like, it's all me, right? So um, the uh, you know writing and drawing. Uh, I also have I have a, the, the one small thing that I have coming up is uh, there, there's this uh, there was this uh, Kolchak the Night Stalker comic yeah. that uh, so like they did a Kickstarter for it and I, I had agreed to do like uh, a story for it if they reached some stretch goal. They did. They made a lot of money off of it. And so uh, like, so I'm finishing up. I wrote and drew a cold check story, which is just fun. And oh, yeah. it's like a 10 page story. So uh, which was super fun to do. So I'm just finishing that up now like that. The, you know, that'll come out in that anthology, which will be that anthology That's will be super cool. fun. And, um, you know, and then I have some graphic novel projects that I'm working on that, you know, when when I, I don't have a, 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 you know, I'm not even going to pretend to say when they're going to come out. They're going to get done when they get done. Uh, Definitely and, you know, 2024. Yes, but I'm also, you know, but right now I'm also really seriously trying to direct, develop things for me to direct. And I'm okay. writing a screenplay in conjunction with the production company and stuff. So, like, I'm, I'm working on some other film stuff to try to get that stuff going as well. So I'm just trying after, uh, you know, all of the pandemic stuff and lockdown stuff and working on that film for so long which was a great experience. And I, 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 you know, very, you know, it was with the same director as uh, Logan and uh, yeah. Ford Ferrari and, and we're getting along and I, Mangle. Jim Mangle, Jim Mangle. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, uh, I, you know, I get along well with Jim. He's great. And so I, um, uh, but like that was a lot of effort and work into that thing where I didn't have the space to do personal creative stuff. So I'm taking the time right now to, to really work on all that. That's exciting. Well, I mean, I, 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 best of luck with the uh, the production stuff. I hope I hope I hope everything 
clicks? It is always, uh, you know, a question how much, how, but it's, uh, you know, and all that stuff can fall apart in an instant and, you know, but still it is a huge ambition of mine to, it's you know, to, to make films. It, it yeah. is an important thing for me. So that's, that's, oh. you know, but at the same time, I have the ability to do the comics and I'm working on those, you know, at, at the same time. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, I, I, that's, I mean, I hope, I hope we get to see some news of, you know, positive stuff in that, that regard. And, it would be great. It would be great if you are limited in doing your comic book work by trying something completely new in the world. And that's yeah, great. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. awesome. Are you doing any conventions or are you? Not, I don't have anything lined up because I just feel like um, I, when I have a new book, I'll do a convention, right? right? I don't have a reason to go just hang around and totally do, do, you know, sketches or whatever. And, you know, and just have a table. I, you know, I want, I'll do it when I have a purpose and the purpose right. will be having a new comic. I think that's I, th I think that's a very healthy response to it. <laughs> not, not so much an ego-based response, but more. Well, look, you know, I mean, yeah, I get that it's nice to to do it and have people come up and say they like the work and all that yeah. stuff, and that's great. But I do I do have a certain amount of discipline with this stuff, and I do feel like, especially right now, the important thing for me is just focus on getting the creative work. Yeah, I'll tell you. Well, just follow Gabriel Gabriel Hardman at Twitter, and you'll mm -hmm. be the like and also gabriel hardman art on instagram where you more or less just see pictures of my dog but whatever that's cool i mean i, I if i had if i had a dog i'd put my pictures of my dog up there too so there you go um yeah well i'm gonna you, are you cool is this good you happy yeah this is great this is All a right, great good. conversation yeah let's uh let's uh wrap it up and go home or if you're already home i'm already home what the hell <laughs> gabriel thanks so much for joining us or me just me yeah. Else who's joined in the listen and watch and whatever, however they take this in. Smoke signals, cool. Um, like, follow, subscribe, etc. and so forth, yada yada yada. Um, take care, we'll see you soon, everyone, and be good. Thank you.